Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew, one of the ministers here. Now, have you ever got yourself into some sort of uh, self-improvement program? This could be exercise, you could be decluttering, holding on to only those things that spark joy. <laughs> I started doing that uh, push-up challenge. Uh, it's only been going for like two or three days and already I have hurt myself. <laughs> In America, the self-help industry make about $11 billion a year. There seems to be a great demand for people wanting to stop some habit and to start a new one. I might go to the gym, stop worrying, be more confident so we can win friends and influence them. We might get 12 rules for life to tell you to tidy up your room and know your boundaries. Now, there's nothing too wrong with this type of self-help change. It's good for your health to stop smoking and to stop drinking too much. It's good to be less anxious and to be more confident. But today in our passage, we see that the nation of Israel and us need something more than some sort of habit change. We need a better makeover, one that is more fundamental, one that involves a whole new heart transplant, which is something we can't do ourselves. So I'm going to ask God for help now. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you will speak to us with the help of your spirit. May our eyes be lifted to you. Help me to give you glory. For you are a good God and worthy of all praise. Please be with us now. Help us to be more, to go out empowered by your spirit. Amen. So we are doing our series on the covenants that God mentions throughout the Bible, and last week we saw the promise from, da- from God to David. The promise was that someone from his line will be on the throne forever, and that David's son was going to build the temple, a permanent place for God to dwell in the city of Jerusalem. However, since then, when we get to Ezekiel, much time has passed and things are not going well for Israel. You can read about this in the books of 1 and 2 Kings and the books of 1 and 2 Chronicles. David's dynasty only lasted two more generations before the nation split under his grandsons Rehoboam and Jeroboam. The nation of Israel split into two tribes, or two parts. In the north, we had 10 of the 12 tribes. They called themselves Israel's. They had 19 kings and none of them did good in the eyes of the Lord. These 10 tribes ended up getting taken out by the Assyrians and scattered around the surrounding lands. The remaining two tribes in the south, they called themselves Judah, and of their 20 kings, four of them did good in the eyes of the Lord. The Babylonians came and attacked them and they ended up getting deported to Babylon. So when we read in Ezekiel, we are with Israel in this exile. 
What is left of the great nation of Israel is not much. The great city of Jerusalem is in ruins. The walls are knocked down. The temple is destroyed. They were living under a pagan king in a pagan land. It would have been almost a trick question to ask at this time to point to the nation of Israel on a map. A faithful Israelite could have been like Abraham in Genesis 15, asking God, what has happened to the promises? God promised Abraham that a great nation would come from him and his descendants would live in the promised land. All that did happen, but now things aren't great. Under Moses, the people agreed to follow God and his laws, but over time, Israel forgot. And despite warning after warning by prophets, the people did not return back to God. So Israel were exiled in another type of Egypt, not in their own land, not as their own people. And why is this? What is going on? What's happened to the promises of God? Well, Israel had disobeyed. It wasn't because they weren't good at politics or that their economy wasn't strong or that their military strategic thinking wasn't as good as their opponents. The reason they were in exile was because they disobeyed God. They had broken their covenant that they had made with him. Two weeks ago, we saw the two-way covenant at Mount Sinai. Moses acts as a mediator between Israel and God. And in Exodus 19 and Exodus 24, the people say, we will do everything the Lord has said. This was confirmed with blood. But as a nation, they did not follow. They did not keep the covenant they made with God. And like a marriage, when one party is unfaithful, there can be a divorce. In Jeremiah 3, when talking about the north and south kingdoms, God says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. They broke the covenant and were sent away. That is where we are in this passage. Did you watch the coronation of King Charles III? Oops. What struck me was that this was a deeply religious service. It's held in Westminster Abbey. The Archbishop of Canterbury does the service. There's prayers and there's hymns, even anointing of oil. All through the service, they're installing a ruling monarch and there's this overtone that the king is under God. The king doesn't get to make up what is right and wrong. The king is to administer justice under the true king, God. And did you watch... This grand moment when Archbishop Welby put the crown on King Charles. There must have been so much pressure, right? Everybody's watching him. You've got to balance it on his head. And then he steps back and yells, God save the king. One British commentator on the feed I was watching said they got quite emotional at that point. In 1804... Napoleon Bonaparte was crowned emperor in Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. The Pope was doing the service. And when it came for Napoleon to be crowned, Napoleon took the crown from the Pope's hands and placed it on his own head. What a statement. 
What is he saying there? He was crowning himself. He would not be under the church or under God. He would be his own ruler. He would be the emperor, not under anyone else. And that was Israel. They sought to live as their own nation, not under God. They had broken God's laws, and that is us too. We don't like living under the rules. Or we want to do our own thing. Israel was meant to have been the nation that reflected God's love and blessing to the nations around them. But they ended up being like everyone else in disobedience to God. And so in a foreign land under a foreign rule, Ezekiel gets this promise from God, which has massive implications for Israel and for us today. In the first paragraph of our Ezekiel reading, it says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Israel, in their disobedience, in their unfaithfulness, has profaned God's name. That is, they had brought disgrace upon the name of God or upon his reputation. Sometimes just by saying someone's name can evoke an emotion because what their name carries is their reputation. Rolf Harris, Ivan Milat, Hitler. When saying these names, their reputations may come to mind, and that is what Israel did with God. They were not good representatives of God. They were immoral and idolatrous. They moved false gods into the temple that Solomon built, and they didn't live how they said they would. The honoring of God's name is a big theme throughout the Bible. It's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It is why in Psalm 23, we are led along right paths for his namesake. In Matthew 28, we're to make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lifting up God's name is what God wants us to do because God is for God. There is nothing greater in the universe that God can be. There is nothing in the universe that God can be for. You and I are not at the center of the universe. God is at the center of his universe. If he was to exalt something other than himself, then he wouldn't, that wouldn't be greater than him. Something else. You can't have that. And throughout the Bible, we see the pattern of God saving people for his own reputation. God rescues Israel from Egypt, so Egypt will know that he was the true God. When in exile, Daniel, when he's rescued from the lion's den, a pagan king responds saying, God is sovereign. And here, God says he will rescue his people, not because they are great, not because they have done good, but for the sake of his name. Because God wants the nations to know that he is the Lord through the saving act of his people. 
God is the active agent in all of this. Just listen to this next bit. Notice a recurring phrase. For I will take you out of the nations. I will give you, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into the land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people. I'm sorry. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourself for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. It's not hard to see all the I wills in this passage. This is a common theme in the covenants that we have seen so far. Besides Mount, the Mount Sinai covenant, where the people say, we will obey, all the other covenants, God is initiating. God is promising. With Noah, God says he will not destroy the earth again by flood. No condition. With Abraham, he says in Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Last week, God said to David, I will provide a place for my people. I will establish your throne forever. I will give you rest from your enemies. And in our passage today, again, God says he will do. He is initiating. He is doing this. God, despite Israel, is going to restore Israel. He will bring them back to the land, cleanse them from idols, remove their hearts of stone, put his spirit in them, be their God, and give them crops in abundance. There's a lot in these promises here, both externally and internally. Israel spends 70 years in Babylon, but then some come back. In Jerusalem, Their temple and their walls get rebuilt. That's in Ezra and Nehemiah. And internally, God says he will clean them and give them a new heart and a new spirit. Under the Mosaic Covenant, they broke God's laws. Not because the laws were bad, but because they were. The evening I proposed to Hannah, I got a speeding ticket. The plan was we'd go to this place in Manica and then afterwards we'd go for a walk and I'd propose. She didn't know that was the plan. And on the way to dinner with Hannah next to me in a ring burning in my pocket on Adelaide Avenue, cop pulls up, pulls me over, asks, is there any reason why I'm doing 10Ks over the limit? And I said to him, my mind was just elsewhere. <laughs> so at dinner, I was a little grumpy. I was a bit quiet. Hannah thought it was just the ticket. And it was a little, but I was thinking, it was stupid that I got a fine tonight. 
It wasn't fair. I've done 10 over on Adelaide Avenue before. Of all the nights that I got a ticket, why was it? It's, it's not right. Why did I do this? Why did I get it? Now, in that moment, the problem wasn't the law. We have speed limits for good reason. The problem was with me. My heart was saying, this was stupid. I am fine. I should be the exception, especially on that night. We like laws for other people. But when it comes to us, we think we're okay. We don't need governing. God gave the people the law and it was good. But the people disobeyed because their hearts weren't good. Our hearts need a cleanse for they are dirty. We need something external outside of us to help us in our disobedience for we can't change ourselves. And God says to Ezekiel, there is a time coming when he will give his people a new heart and put a new spirit in them so they will be able to follow God's decrees and laws, not for the purpose of avoiding trouble, but for his glory so the nations can know that he is the Lord. And the good news is that Jesus brought about this new promise. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he changed the Passover to be about him and this new covenant. That through his blood, this new covenant was made, and in it, we get the promises of Ezekiel. Without these promises, there'll be no hope for us. Left to ourselves, we can't obey God's law. Israel tried and failed. I have tried and failed. But God doesn't leave us on our own and say with cold indifference, you get what you deserve. No, God comes down as one of us who lives the lawful life required. He is the only one from the nation of Israel who says to the Mosaic Covenant, I will obey, and actually does. And in him, through his death and resurrection, we get his righteousness, his victory. Jesus obeyed the law, he died to it, and now we are under a new covenant. From our Romans passage. But now, by dying to watch what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You may hear the objections sometimes how Christians pick and choose which laws to follow in the Bible. We don't stone people for wearing polyester or for planting two crops in the same field. Why do you eat pork and shellfish when it's forbidden? Christians just ignore these sorts of things in the Bible. They pick and choose what they want to obey. Those who claim that Christians pick and choose parts of the Bible are just showing their hand. They have picked and chosen from the Bible and have not read it. There is a divide in our Bible between the Old Testament or Old Covenant and New Testament or New Covenant. It is because of this new covenant that everything changes. It is because we have read the Bible and know we are in the timeline that we know what to follow. We have been released from the law because Christ obeyed it on our behalf. He died to it and rose again in new life. And since we are in him, we have died to the law and are given a new way of life, one empowered by the Spirit. So this has massive implications for how we see the Christian life. God is the initiator. He saves us for his glory so the nations will believe. 
We don't save ourselves. We don't save our friends and family. God does that. We don't have to get caught up in worrying about evangelism techniques or knowing all the right answers or any of that, for it is God who saves. And those he saves will seek his name and his glory to extend his worship to the whole earth. It is because our God is sovereign that we can praise him and be willing to live and die for his reputation because he is good, because he keeps his word and saves a people for himself. A.J. Gordon, one of the founders of Gordon Cronwell Divinity School, he tells a story of how he was walking out and looked across a field and next to the, in the field was a house. And next to the house, there was a man on a hand pump, pumping like crazy. And as he got closer, he noticed that the man wasn't slowing down. He was still tirelessly pumping on and on, up and down, up and down, without even slowing down the slopes. But as he got closer still, he could see it was not a man at a pump, but a wooden figurine in the shape of a man. The arm pumping had a hinge at the elbow and the hand was attached to the handle. The wooden man wasn't pumping the water, the water was pumping the man. The spirit is there to help us to live. A.J. Gordon goes on to say, when you see someone who is at work for God and producing results, recognize that it is the Holy Spirit working through them, not the person's effort that gives the results. In this new covenant, the spirit dwells in his people. God changes their hearts so they can obey him. Apart from Christ, we are all in need of a heart transplant. This means those in Christ are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We can now get help from God to follow God for his sake. So how do you know if you have the spirit in you? Do you remember these things called CDs? Remember them? Had like a shiny part underneath and there was no way of telling what was on the CD just by looking at that bottom bit. There are perhaps two ways of knowing what's on a CD. One is you can trust the writing on top and you can then actually play the CD. We can know the Holy Spirit indwells us by believing God's word, by trusting in his writing and by seeing the results in our lives when we are obedient to him. So when your kids are narky at each other, you can have patience with them. When a work colleague does something annoying, causing you more work, you don't have to fly into a fit of rage towards them, but instead, you can be kind to them. When someone slanders your name, you don't have to retaliate. When interest rates are on the rise and the cost of living is going up, you can have peace and still be generous and not selfish. When someone in your family or life group says some political statement that you disagree with, you don't have to let that be a divide between you. For the Spirit helps us to order our loves in the right way. I'll close with this story. Mobile Mission Maintenance, they're a group of mostly retired folk who go around Australia helping churches with their buildings. It's kind of like what we're doing with Nooka. About two years ago, the first time I was in the Northern Territory, uh, we met 
uh, MMM group at this little church in Bachelor, and they had just come from Nooka. Uh, this couple was telling me how when they were there, their car got stolen with some of their tools inside. And this couple was saying the worst part about it was just the day before, they'd sent an email to their family saying, we hope what we are doing will bring God glory. And one of them said, they're worried now, what will their grandchildren think of God now that they've gone out here and they've had their car stolen? Their minds didn't turn to the massive logistical problem of getting out of Nooka without a car, or how to deal with insurance, or how you even file a police report out there. They were worried about God's reputation. The school teacher in Nooka was also a Christian, and he knew the boys who had stolen the car. He told them, those folk over at the church, they're my people. They'll forgive you if you ask. So the boy sheepishly approached the MMM crew and the leader was a bit unhappy and he stepped forward and the couple said they gestured for him to step back. They said it was their car that was stolen. They'll deal with this. They approached the boys and said, you stole our car, you are forgiven. And they extended their hand and they shook. And they could tell by the boys' emotions that this was nothing they had ever experienced before. These white folk were forgiving them for stealing their stuff. The crew were Jesus folk. And Jesus folk live in step with the spirit, not in step with the world. They did get their car back and later still, I think their tools did turn up. People of God, our God has saved us to make his name great to the nations. We have the Spirit who has given us a new heart. As we go home today, as we go to work tomorrow, as we call friends and family, may we seek his name and his glory, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'll pray. O Sovereign Lord, we thank you that you are God and that you persistently sought a people for yourself, even though we had broken your holy laws. Thank you that you revealed a new covenant for your people so that they can obey you for the sake of your holy name. Only by the help of your spirit may we joyfully fulfill your command to love so that the nations will know that you are God. We ask this through the name of Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.